Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Good morning, Harvest. I've, uh, over the course of my years here at Harvest, I've almost never repeated an old sermon again, but I'm going to do it this morning. And uh, I'm not going to do it because I ran out of time, but because over the course of the sabbatical, uh, there has been one theme that has really grabbed my attention, and that is how much my relationship and how much my relationship with time was reoriented by the experience of having four months stepping away from the work that defines so much of my life. You might remember this message because it's not like I'm digging one up from 20 years ago. I first preached this message at Harvest in February of last year. That was the weird Sunday when we happened to be at the Now Arena for the first time in a while. Do you guys remember this? How many of you were there for that Sunday in February, the Now Arena? Okay. And the message at that time was called Stewarding Our Time because we were in a series, a short one, on stewarding our time, treasure, and talents. And since that time, as a result of the sabbatical, uh, my understanding of time and our relationship with it has evolved a little bit. It's been maybe, I would call it sharpened or refined. And so I want to share some of those things. I actually remembered this message and went back to it because some of the principles were kind of calling out to me. And as I practiced Sabbath, I ended up rewriting a good portion of the sermon because my views on it were evolving. I want to start by asking you a question. What kind of relationship do you personally have with time? When you hear the word time, what what are the strong or the first emotions that, that awakens in you? Do you feel like you have too much time? Does anyone feel like that? Do you feel like you have too little time? I'm sure for someone like Sue, who's always been at Seeds and busy on Sundays, now you feel like, wow, I have a lot of extra time in my life. What about, is it flying by or is it dragging on? Do you feel like time is just moving too fast or that every day seems like an eternity? Is time your friend or does time feel more like an enemy that you have to do battle against? I think most of us, have a complicated relationship with time because I would say if you're like the average American, you swing wildly between two extremes, right? I mean, don't most of us do this? On the one hand, we have this low-grade panic that there's not enough time. Our years on earth are too short. I got to make the most of it. And so we have this kind of low-grade panic arising from how little time we actually have. But then on the other hand, we can binge watch entire seasons of a show, or sit on the toilet scrolling through reels until our butt cheeks fall asleep. And so there's this weird duality we have where on some moments, we feel like we have so much time, and at other moments, it's like we have all the time in the world. We just waste a bunch of it. Let's just squander it. And I'm not sure why we have that weird, almost schizophrenic relationship with time, but many people have a very complicated relationship with time. In Psalm 90, 12... Uh, This is a a prayer actually written by Moses and then recorded in Israel's history in the book of Psalms. 
And in it, Moses says this, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And I think what Moses is trying to remind us of is that, in fact, it is not, it's not wrong to see that our days on earth are numbered. They are limited, and we should be mindful of that. When he says number our days, he's not saying try to guess how many days you have. He's just saying acknowledge that you don't have infinity of them on this earth. Like this earthly life, this existence that we know, it is short. It is limited. Live in awareness of this. And there are two possible big responses we could have to that. One is that panicked urgency. Oh, my goodness. What are we going to do with so little time? And the other is almost like a, a, a futile indifference, a surrender to it. I mean, what are you going to do? It's going to be over before you know it. What's the point of trying? What's the... So those are two very extreme reactions that often people will have to numbering their days. But what Moses is saying is if we've numbered our days or acknowledged the finiteness of our lives properly... God's intended result is that we can spend what time we do have with the heart of wisdom, that we can properly value the amount of time each of us has been assigned so that we don't end up misusing the limited days that we're granted on this earth. The New Testament has two different words for time, whereas in the English, it's always going to be the same word. And so when you read your New Testament, you're going to see the English word time pop up over and over, but underneath it could be one of two Greek words. And the first Greek word is chronos. That's basically clock time. That's pretty straightforward. It's the kind of time most of us are familiar with. It's measured in minutes and seconds and hours and days and years. It's the general sense in which most of us relate to time. And we have no choice but to live in Kronos time. It is the continuum or maybe the, the automated walkway at the airport that we stand on, and it moves us whether we want it to or not. We've all I've seen probably some, some movie or TV show where the fantasy is you could make time stand still. Imagine having a pause button for reality, where when it's just getting too much or things seem to be moving too quickly, or you're in this tender, sweet moment, like you're watching your little child sleeping, and you're just like, I want this moment to last forever. Don't you wish you could just pause and not have time keep moving on? I think that's a fantasy of ours, that we wish we could somehow control the movement of Kronos time. But the truth is, it's like a conveyor belt, and we're on it, and it inexorably moves forward, and we can only travel in one direction linearly down Kronos time. That's the only choice we have. All of us are stuck in it. We all relate to it this way. And because it's linear... We tend to think of Kronos time in tenses, right? This is not just for English class. Uh, This is reality that there is past, there's present, and there's future. What I've come to realize about myself and many other people is that we have a tendency to live primarily in the past or the future, to dwell on the past or the future with a lot of our time and our energy. I hope nobody feels that I'm minimizing those two things because there are some powerful, valid reasons why people get stuck or rooted in the past. And it makes it very difficult for them to move on. And there's some really good reasons why some people are obsessed with the future. There's so much that could be said on that. The Bible has much to say. And I hope to develop future messages that explore the way that we inhabit future and past. I think those are very important topics But for today's message, my intent is to focus entirely 
on the present tense. At some future point, I do want to talk about the way that we inhabit the past and the way that we inhabit the, present, the future because those are meaningful and important dimensions of our relationship with time. But for today, I want to entirely focus on how we dwell in the present moment. In a very real sense, it can be said that every single human life is exactly one second long. Because the only moment of time we actually ever possess is the one that we happen to be in right at this moment. I used to think about time as a giant landscape where I see all of it behind me and all of it ahead of me, but I've grown to think more of it as I'm in a little submersible pod like in the ocean, you know, like I'm in this little one-person vehicle and I'm moving through this bubble of reality through time and the only actual reality is what's inside that bubble right there. The past is a, it's like a landscape of things behind me that I can see but I cannot return to. And the future is a vision over the horizon that I want to get to but may never reach. But the present moment, right now, this is my life. And I experience life like you do, literally one minute, one second, one moment at a time. So that brings me to the second Greek word for time, which is kairos. The first one was chronos, but the second Greek word for time is kairos. And it's remarkable how often this second word pops up in the New Testament at very important places. And it's really important that you find some kind of an online resource to help you. Whenever you encounter the word time in your Bible reading, find out which one of those words it is because it will deeply affect the way you understand and even attempt to apply the truth of that passage to your life. This second word, kairos, is not time as a unit of measure, but a unit of meaning. It's not measured in minutes, but it's measured in moments. Kronos time is about quantity, but Kairos time is about the quality of the experience in that present moment. And Kairos has two important nuances, two very important meanings. And the first is this idea of being fully present in the moment right now. Mindful, <clears throat> truly engaged, inhabiting this present moment with a kind of fullness so that you're not just cruising through it. In each moment, you are actually inhabiting the time that you're in. It has undertones of being fully alive, fully mindful, really experiencing what is happening in you and to you, around you, in any moment of life. I don't think it's possible for the human being to experience this kind of kairos reality or presence constantly. I'm sure people have made the claim they do, but I don't believe it. I don't think anyone is capable of being that constantly mindful and present, but I think it's an aspirational goal. It's a way for us to understand that when God grants us the gift of time, it's one of the primary ways he wants us to experience time as a gift. Until my sabbatical... I didn't realize how little I truly dwelt in the present tense. I thought I did. As an Enneagram 7, I like to think that um, I'm always in the moment. I'm fully alive. I'm enjoying it. But the truth is, I was distracted, diverted. I was, I was titillated. But being really present in a moment, you know how I know that I'm probably not that fully present? I have such 
foggy memories of my past. My brother remembers what we were wearing and what the airport smelled like the day we moved to the United States in 1973. He was three and a half years old, and he vividly remembers everything. My first actual memory is when we arrived, and then I couldn't understand what someone was saying, and I was confused. I don't even remember what they looked like. I realized that I breeze through moments, and I think I'm fully engaged, but the truth is, looking back, I've gathered very little of the moments that I inhabited. I wonder if you're a little like me. I don't know. But I'm realizing that when I was finally freed of Kronos time, and that's what a sabbatical did for me. It's why I'm so grateful for the gift that you gave me, is that the responsibilities of my day-to-day work, they rooted me in Kronos time. They made me absolutely super aware of the way that time also equaled responsibility, expectation, obligation. I was aware that tomorrow morning I had to get up at a certain time, not because that's when my body would wake up, but because that's when I had to be doing something. And if I was late to that, there would be 20 people who would be disappointed or someone would be very upset with me. And something that wouldn't get done on time and a deadline that would be missed. And the sabbatical freed me from that so that the first day of my sabbatical, I woke up and I thought to myself, what am I supposed to be doing? And I realized how much I let the currents of my external life dictate that to me every single day. The urgencies and the tyrannies of my work, my life, the expectations and voices of other people. And the first day I woke up on sabbatical, I was freaked out because I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. That doesn't mean I didn't have a plan for the sabbatical. It just was like detoxing from the addiction to having other obligations dictate how I experience time. And freed from that tyranny... I suddenly realized that my goal is not to rigidly go through the scaffolding of Kronos time, meeting all of my obligations, but to make the most of the present moment because I've got four months of them and they are a treasure. What I do and the meaning I extract from those moments, that's really what my mind was starting to be about. And over the course of those four months, something awakened in me and I was really um, aware how little I'm present in the present. And little by little, God began changing that in me. And I found that the more present we are with God and with others in this moment, the less we end up leaving a long trail of regrets and missed opportunities behind us. And the more confident, the more comfortable we feel facing the unknown of the future that lies ahead of us. I find that it's really hard to be really present in the moment when our spirits inside are frenzied and noisy. Do you find that? When you have all these deadlines and all these assignments, all these people expecting things from you, and there's just chaos everywhere in your environment, it's so hard to actually embody the present moment with full presence. Have you ever had a conversation with someone And though both of you were going through the motions of the conversation, you could tell that you or the other person were not fully engaged in the conversation. Have you ever felt that? Maybe their eyes are kind of looking around for someone else to talk with. I don't know. Or maybe you're just going through your to-do list or all this stuff. And so you're like kind of like, hey, yeah, oh, yeah, right, wait, say that again. And you're kind of having a conversation, 
Everyone else looks at you guys. It looks like you're having a conversation, but neither one of you is really talking to each other or listening. And you walk away from that thinking, wow, that was really weird. Like, that didn't need to even happen. It was like we were next to each other, but not actually with each other. And I think that that often happens in our relationship with God. As Christ followers, we go through a lot of actions, and we put ourselves in a lot of places where ostensibly what's supposed to be happening is a connection with God or with the people of God. And so we're in the right place doing the right things, but somewhere in the back of our hearts, we we know I'm not actually here. Maybe it's when you're trying to have a daily time of devotions, or maybe it's something as routine as praying a prayer of thanksgiving for the meal you're about to eat. Maybe it's sitting down to your small group Bible study, your community group gathering. Maybe it's sitting like you are right now in a Sunday service, and we're in the right place, doing the right things. Maybe you're on a date night with your spouse or significant other. Maybe you are at a birthday party with one of your good friends. Who knows what it is we're doing, but there's a moment where we realize, uh, I'm supposed to be fully present here with God and with the people around me, and I'm not really here. When we do that in our relationship with God, I like to think of it as being God-adjacent, but not God-focused. I'm in the proximity of God, but I'm not actually focused on him, engaged with him right now. And that can be really costly because uh, something is lost when we train ourselves to go through motions without extracting from those motions the real value of what was supposed to happen through what we're doing. But when we are fully present, time seems to stand still, and we're engrossed in the reality of that present moment. Sometimes it happens with God. Sometimes it happens with the people we love, where even though it's someone familiar to you, once in a while, do you just ever have that moment where you're so connected, you feel so close, that you don't want that moment to end, and time seems to stand still, and you're just aware that we are inhabiting a real moment. And they don't have to be life-altering. That As we sang that last chorus of that last song, a cappella, and I heard the voices of the church, and what was rising from my own heart was a moment. It was very beautiful to me, very precious, and I felt just for that moment like I was pulled out of my reverie I'm thinking about this message that I got to do about leaders meeting coming up. In that moment, I was sucked right into the present. And it was really powerful. It could be that simple just throughout the day if we're attentive. A moment where God invites us to be absolutely present in who and what is right before us. And I want to encourage us to be thinking that way. In, in Luke 10, uh, Jesus has this encounter with a pair of sisters who were very good friends. It's a famous story of the two sisters. You know their names, right? Mary and Martha. And I won't say much about this. I'm going to just read the passage and make one, one little observation. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Listen to this. Martha, 
was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The story of Mary and Martha is a great illustration of the difference between seeing past the moment and seeing the moment we're in. I don't think what Martha was doing was wrong. It was necessary. Someone needs to serve. But I think what Jesus was saying, he wasn't rebuking Martha for serving. But he was trying to say, but you understand that Mary is not just being lazy. She's not just shirking her responsibility. She is captivated in a moment that I also want for you. I'm sorry that your sister is not helping you. But I also want you to know that your sister is helping you by showing you something you can't afford to miss. And when we are in that full engagement, the chaos around us disappears and we see who we're supposed to see and what we're supposed to see. I shared with you earlier that during the sabbatical, one of my goals was for God to be able to show me things about myself that I miss day to day. We all think we're self-aware, but I can tell you, I'll confess, I walked around thinking, oh, I'm pretty self-aware. I do think a lot about how I'm doing, what I look like. It wasn't until I finally had those moments of uninterrupted quiet and solitude that God was free to tell me, no, Dave, here's the narrative you've given about yourself that you can live with. Let me tell you, all of you, some of it very good and some of it very bad. It's in that place of full engagement and full presence, that I was finally able to see some true things about myself, too. Are you still with me? Yeah? All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up this way. I'm going to give you the second sense of this Greek word, kairos. The first is to be fully present and inhabit the moment you're in. And the second is this. It is to seize a key moment or window of opportunity to act or decide. That's another sense of the English word moment. You can say, oh, we're having a moment, or you can say, this is our moment. This is it. This is our time, our moment to do something, our generation's moment, our ethnicity's moment, our gender's moment, our family's moment. There's a narrow window in which something can be done to effect change in our reality And the truth is that that window doesn't always stay open forever. Often, it's a window that closes within a finite time. In Greek mythology, the character Kairos was actually the youngest son of Zeus, the great god. He was depicted this way. He was very beautiful in appearance. Anyone who saw Kairos was immediately attracted to him. And he was also depicted as very fleet of foot. He had wings on his feet, just like Mercury or Hermes, and he could run very fast. And the other weird feature about him is he had this giant lock of hair, a forward-facing ponytail, like an arm-sized thing of hair that ran ahead of him like a unicorn's horn. It's this very strange-looking appearance. As he would run towards you, you would see that lock of hair dangling, and you would see his beautiful appearance, and you just want to grab on. 
But because he ran so fast, if you didn't grab on, the other feature of Kairos was he was bald as a bowling ball on the back. So you would see him, you go, I want to seize him, but if you miss or if you fail to reach out, then you try after he's passed you, all you're doing is grabbing bowling ball. Nothing happens. There's nothing to seize because he has passed you, and now he's slippery, he's elusive. You can't reclaim him because he passed you by. So the best time to grab him is when he's headed towards you. The idea is seize the Kairos moment now or lose it possibly forever. The substance of many human regrets, the life-defining, life-shaping regrets, is constituted in these missed moments. I should have. I could have. I would have. But I didn't. Now, that's not a distinctly Christian idea, right? I mean, in Dead Poets Society, uh, the character John Keating, played by Robin Williams, says, Carpe diem, seize the day. Boys, make your lives extraordinary. That's the only Latin most Americans know from that movie. Carpe diem. Alexander Hamilton, at least in Lin-Manuel's telling of the story, he says, I am not throwing away my shot. That's all over the internet today, right? People taking their shot. I'm going to go for it. And then, you know, the eminent philosopher Marshall Mathers III said, look, if you had one shot, one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted, one moment, would you capture it? Would you just let it slip? So this sense of grabbing hold of the moment of opportunity is not a distinctly Christian idea. It echoes in the world, but here's the difference between the Christ follower's vision of Kairos and the world's vision of Kairos, is that for the world, this is entirely a self-serving thing. How do you seize, and Eminem at least is honest, he, he baldly says it, everything you ever wanted. This philosophy has led to a lot of bankruptcy. I'm just going to buy it. We can't afford it. Oh, you're always so pessimistic. Let's just do it. And two months later, debt way over our heads. Or life regrets. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to tattoo Jaden Smith's face on my You know, we do things like that, right? We, we're just in the moment. We're saying, I'm not going to let this pass by. But if the goal is just to seize what we want to enrich our own experience, to lay hold of everything our flesh and our hearts desire, it is an invitation. Now, that's compelling, okay? I'm not saying it's all bad. For some who are paralyzed by fear and indecision, we could use a little healthy dose of this. Don't let everything pass you by. Once in a while, you've got to take a risk. Grab hold of life. Do something. And if that's what you need to hear, it's okay to hear that. But if the only thing informing that moment of seizing hold of Kairos is self-serving desire, there's a terrible danger in it. Because the heart is not a worthy God to follow. How many of us know that our own hearts get us in more trouble than anyone else's heart? I wish I could trust myself, my own heart to lead me, but the honest truth is it has betrayed me more than anyone else has. I like to victimize myself, pretend everything bad in my life happened at the hands of other people, but I had more agency than I ever want to admit. Don't you? So many of the tragedies and regrets in our lives do happen through our own agency as well. Not all, but so many. 
And so as Christ followers, we have a very different way of regarding this idea of seizing the moment of Kairos opportunity. And I'm not suggesting that the only appropriate way to seize it is if they're religious. Like, oh, I'm supposed to go to Africa on short-term missions, or I'm supposed to give this kind of money. I'm saying that there are times when the living God will nudge us or prompt us or sometimes even shake us with the conviction to do something or to act or to change something. Very often it comes in the impulse of either go or stop or turn. Sometimes it's slow down. But the the living God will often nudge us inside and we kind of sense that it's him. Can't always know for sure. But there's a sense once in a while, haven't you felt it, where it's like this idea or impulse foreign to yourself, not something you wanted to do or would have chosen, but it just inserts itself into your spirit and you feel it. Like there's an, you can even feel it in your body sometimes, you know what I mean? Where you're just like, I, I need to. And in that moment, often God is stirring something up in us because we say we want to follow God, but then we so often follow God on our timetable, on our terms, in our way, And God says, well, then that's not really just following me. It's kind of following yourself in my honor. But once in a while, I want to test, do you really want to follow me? Because I might ask you to do something you're not quite ready for, but you know in your heart, it's what I want for you. It may not be comfortable. It may scare you. It may be be something that uh, actually triggers certain feelings in you. And yet you sense it. It's not someone else pressuring you. It's God himself. Just go and tell them you love them. Pull over the car and ask if that person's okay. Say you're sorry. Just sign on the dotted line. Say yes. In Ephesians 5, Paul says this. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity. And that word opportunity is the Greek word kairos. Here it's not translated time, but it's translated as opportunity. Make the most of every kairos because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And isn't that an interesting relationship that sometimes the Lord expresses his will to our lives in those kairos convictions, in those moments where in your heart of hearts you sense it, God is nudging you to act or decide. And that's how he shows up and directs us in our lives. And the important thing, just like the Greek figure of Kairos, is that the most important response is to respond to it in the narrow moment called now, shortly after the conviction comes. Haven't you experienced this? I I know I have, where a, a sharp conviction comes and then I... Let fear or self-doubt stop me. You know, this has happened in conversation. Maybe you could relate to this. Someone's talking, and I could tell that even though they're smiling, their eyes look a little sad, and then you're kind of like, I feel like I want to pull this person aside and say, hey, are you actually okay? And so I feel it, but then I'm like awkward, because what if like I misread it, and and then they're really busy talking, laughing with someone else, but I feel like I was supposed to do it, and then it gets awkward the longer you wait, the longer you wait, the longer you, and after all, you're like, maybe I was just, I don't know, maybe it was indigestion. And on your drive home, you're like, I should have, 
I don't know, I just really regret that I didn't do it at that moment. And then later, if you just call the person up, it's so weird. He was like, hey, so great party last night. Hey, are you okay? And they're like, whoa, what's that about? Did you hear something? Did someone say something? Sometimes that window is just there for a moment where maybe God knows that person would have been tender, open to the question, where the next morning they would be defensive and closed about it. So the most important moment for one of these Kairos convictions is often the moments immediately after God gives them. And what we do in the next 30 seconds to a minute with those convictions can often shape some of the most important turns that our lives take. The writer of Hebrews echoes this idea, and he's citing Psalm 95 in part of this. The writer of Hebrews says, Be careful then. And isn't that interesting that both those passages begin with the words, be careful, be very careful, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, We will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says today when you hear his voice. Don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. What a beautiful word. When the living God nudges a human spirit, when the heart of God reaches across the expanse and touches your heart and my heart. He always does it for our good and his glory. We don't have an abusive father in heaven who nudges us to harm us or to trap us or to trick us or to rob us of anything. Sometimes our earthly fathers do such things, but our heavenly father never does. This is why he is so worthy of trust. We sing it sometimes at church. He is a good, good, good father. He nudges us because he wants to bless us and he wants to receive glory through our lives. Sometimes it may be something uncomfortable, but when he nudges us, we can respond in two ways. We can soften our hearts and surrender ourselves to that nudge, or we can harden our hearts And that doesn't always look the way your kids might look when they defy themselves. Like, "Mm, no, God. It's not like that. It's often the hardening is different. It's like, come on, let's be reasonable. I, you know what? The timing just doesn't feel right. I'm not going to do that just yet. Oh, we've got a lot of other things we need to get done first. We talk our way out of it. That's one of the ways we harden our hearts against God is we deny the reality that he touched us at all. That wasn't God. That was just, I don't know what that was. And so we harden our hearts, even though we can sense it in truth. In that moment, God is touching us. He's moving us, but we somehow hardened against that. So if we soften our hearts, open our hearts, then we become receptive to that nudge, and our lives get moved, not by our own hand, but by the hand of God. Only one of those two responses lands us at the center of God's will for our lives. If we consistently harden our hearts against the nudges of the living God upon us, 
I don't know that we can honestly say at the end of our life's journey, that was a, a life built on following God. It may be a life dedicated to God, but it was mostly a life following my own wits and my own analysis, my own sense of timing and good sense. Now, I don't think we should build our lives entirely on that. Please don't hear me the wrong way. I'm not going to sit here on on the couch tomorrow just waiting for God to nudge me, or I'm just going to lay there and scroll through reels all day. I mean, that's not what I'm advocating here. But that once in a while, when without your seeking it, God will just come and nudge you. Are you ready to soften your heart to him in the moment that he touches us? I think that's one of the primary ways we can say at the end of our life, I did follow you, and I allowed you at key moments to direct me, and I didn't just direct myself. Let me conclude this way. When a resource is limited or scarce, it deeply affects the way that we interact with it. Okay, And so I can say for much of my life, Money was that scarce resource. I felt very rich with time when I was younger, but I felt very poor with money. So whichever resource is the least plentiful, you're most careful how you use it. You're most mindful of when it goes out or when it comes in. Kronos time is so limited for us in our earthly life. And so the scarcity of it shapes the way we feel about it and the way we use it. But the amazing thing is that this concept of kairos time can free us from an enslavement to chronos time. And the thing is that the hope we have in Jesus Christ is that a day is coming for us when chronos time will be infinite. And when a thing becomes infinite, it ceases to be meaningful as a resource and it only finds meaning in how you use it. Do you remember the first time that I preached this, I used the illustration of Jeff Bezos' money. That dude has so much money that talking about amounts is meaningless. You know, he has more money than the human mind can conceive of how to spend. And so now the only real value of Jeff Bezos' money is not how much of it he has, but what he can conceive of in his imagination to do with it. And he's chosen to put rocket ships into space, which is actually kind of cool. And he spent $100 million on a clock. That's super accurate. But, I mean, the way a person spends infinity dollars is not a reflection of his wealth, but of his psyche, of his value system, of his imagination, of what makes him tick. Though we have finite chronos, a day is coming when it will cease to be a meaningful number because we will have infinity minutes ahead of us. And in that time, in that era, the real value of time will not be in how we spent it in terms of management and stewardship, but how much we inhabited each moment and found meaning in it. It will be like a sabbatical for all of us that lasts for infinity. And in that eternity, the deepest parts of our values and our dreams and our aspirations will show up in the way that we inhabit every moment. We can begin preparing for eternity here on earth by learning to live more in Kairos time and thereby be freed up from the tyranny of Kronos time. 
when we live fully present in the moment, when we lay hold of all of those specific windows of conviction when God is nudging us, in those rare moments, we convert chronos into kairos time and become more fully alive. And we inhabit time the way that God meant for us to inhabit it. I want to invite you in the following week, not just to pass through the week, but to be mindful of your relationship with time this week. And pay particular attention to how often you catch yourself not really being present in the present. My prayer for us is that this week, we will learn to practice how to inhabit time the way that God asked us to do it, intended for us to do it. And thereby, every minute that passes can potentially become a moment that shapes and defines and blesses us and the people around us. I want to invite you to just bow with me for a minute. I don't know if Pastor stands in the room, if you can make your way down. I want you to think about how many of your past regrets, not your pains, the pains are often at the hands of others, but how many of your past regrets might have been different had you been more present in the moments that passed you by or had laid hold of a conviction or a nudge in your spirit? Think about how many things in the future might be missed if you don't learn to be present in the moment you're in. Every moment is at the same time potentially hard and potentially full of beauty and wonder. Like every parent, Jeannie and I whined through our, our children's early childhood years at how hard it all was. And now we look back at videos and pictures and think, how could we have squandered those precious days when they were so little, so sweet? I imagine 20 years from now, I'll look back at the age they're at now and think, they were young adults. How could I have missed the days to connect with them? This is the gift of the present, is it shapes our whole lives. So could we commit ourselves to God in this way? I'm going to give you a minute just in quiet to respond to God, and then Pastor Stan will come and lead us in the Lord's Supper. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.